0: It has been a long time since I have preached here. In fact, I can't remember the last time it was. The bad news is I haven't got any better. Uh, We're not for sure what's wrong, uh, but I'm glad to be here. Uh, Talked to Ross uh, yesterday. uh, His sabbatical officially ends, I reminded him, on Friday. Uh, But he's doing great, and he will be ready to get back and uh, to see you all. So this morning, I'm here to close up the series on Jonah. And this chapter for Christians or people that profess to be Christians is a gut check. And this book for me, I have this love-despise relationship with this book. One of the, the great memories I have growing up uh, was a lady named Gladys Young. Gladys and her husband uh, ran a dairy farm as a kid. Uh, that was amazing to see, but she taught us on Sunday nights. And she would always teach by allowing us to kind of act out as she would retell the story. So one Sunday night, she shows up with a bed sheet, and she covers a table. She then begins telling the story of Jonah. And I was excited because I knew this story, and I got to be Jonah. And it came to that time, and the big fish swallowed him, and I'm under that table. And she reads the story when the big fish spit Jonah out, and I knew it. This was the moment I was created for, and I came out as the best Jonah ever, but then I despise it because as much as I hate to admit it, I can relate to Jonah. I've ran from God. I've been disappointed in God. I have been angry with God, and then I still struggle to follow and obey him. And so, maybe if that is you, maybe you can relate to Jonah also. But we're going to close out this book, and this chapter is so bizarre. I mean, it is strange. The whole book released, but this chapter, it takes the cake. But here's a quick recap. So, Jonah 1, it gives Jonah the command God does who then runs from God. And you remember this, Jonah, the only prophet we know running from God, he goes and We see these pagan, idol-worshipping fishermen show more faith than Jonah. God miraculously saves him. Jonah 2, he he prays. God saves him, and he puts him back on track by swallowing him by a giant fish and spitting it out on dry ground. I know, crazy. Jonah 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh, the Assyrian city, and he delivers this finally. Finally delivers the message to those in Nineveh. And you remember the elaborate message, five Hebrew words? In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed or turned over. I mean, that is it. There is no mention of what they've done wrong. There's no mention of how to repent and turn from that. There isn't even a mention of God in his message it really seems like he's kind of just doing the bare minimum. You know, it's like telling my teenage son, hey, go clean your room, and gathers all the clothes up on the floor, goes to the closet, throws them in the floor, and shuts the door, and he's done. It's The bare minimum is what we see Jonah doing. But even in his half-hearted effort, the entire city, even the king, it tells us, repents and turns to the God of Israel. And you go, wow crazy but if you didn't know how chapter 4 went maybe you've never read this story but if you read other prophets you know what we would expect build an altar huge celebration worship but that is not at all what happens so as we're going to walk through Jonah 4 we were going to see three hindrances I would call them obstacles to grace Three hindrances of graces. These are things, this is what is getting in Jonah's way. And we're going to see them today. Three hindrances. But I hate to say it, that I can see these in my life as I see them in Jonah. But through these hindrances, this is what I hope we can walk away with. That we can walk away seeing and believing that we can't outgrow our need for God's grace and we can't outsin the reach. Of God's grace. That we'll never outgrow a need for it, and we can never outsend the reach of His grace. So here's where we left off. Jonah gives that 40 days, Nineveh will be turned over, uh, gives the message, they repent of their evil ways, and then God relented. So once again, we think, man, now it's time to turn to celebrate, build the altars, bring in the sacrifices, let's worship. But look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So God does this amazing, incredible, gracious act, and it drives Jonah to be displeased exceedingly. And that's a soft translation. It means that Jonah saw what God did, and in his eyes, it was evil to the point that it angered Jonah. So Jonah watched him do this wonderful, merciful, grace-filled thing. And Jonah calls it evil in his own eyes. Well, here's why. Jonah is thinking this. How could God give his grace to Assyria of all places, Nineveh? How could God do that? They are our mortal enemies. They deserve judgment, not mercy and grace. But Jonah is forgetting you can never outgrow your need for God's grace and you can never outsin the reach of his grace. Now on a positive note, man, we can be honest with God. We could see that here. God's shoulders are big enough. He can handle our disappointment. But doesn't it seem strange that the grace that God extends to Israel is the same grace Jonah once withheld from Nineveh. So notice what Jonah does in verse two. And he prayed to the Lord. You go, all right, he's back on track. And he said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. This right here, this, he says, this right here, what you're doing, this is why I ran. I knew you to be a God of mercy. I knew you to be a God of slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so you relented. And Jonah is doing something that kids often try to do. He's trying to throw a parent's words back in their face. Because Exodus 34, it's almost word for word. Where it said, the Lord passed before him, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger abounding, in steadfast love and faithfulness. But once again, it seems so strange to me that Israel experienced this God. Jonah then experiences this God. But now Jonah does not want the same God to show grace and mercy to Nineveh. Now, we might expect Jonah to realize the sin and confess. But that's not what happens because look at verse three. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, this is mind blowing to me. He says, Because you are merciful, because you are gracious, I wish I would die. It makes no sense. He is so distraught over God being merciful and gracious to the Assyrians that live in Nineveh that he would rather die than to watch that happen. So notice what God does. God turns or looks to Jonah and he said in verse 4, Do you do well to be angry? He says, Do you have a good reason, Jonah? I mean, is your your anger is, is it really justified? and Jonah doesn't say a word. Instead, it's like he's ignoring God. Instead, look at verse 5. Look at what he does. God just asked you a question. I would think you would respond, but not Jonah. He goes out to the city, and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth. He he made a little lean-to, a little structure for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see he should see what would become of the city so essentially jonah pouts jonah goes off to the city to the east he builds this little structure he doesn't answer the god of the sea and the god of the land the one that saved his own life and turned an entire city instead he builds a little shelter and he just sits and watches i believe he is sitting there hoping that god will relent from his relent Hey, God relented then. Maybe he'll do it again. And these people will get exactly what they would deserve. He is hoping that God will pour his wrath out on Nineveh. But God doesn't. He does something else. I want to show you the effects of what happened. He's about to turn things upside down. If you were to fast forward about 50 years, you take this city of Nineveh. The Assyrians, especially. In 2 Kings 14, Jeroboam II is ruling over Israel as their king, and he is an evil king, leading everyone astray. In 2 Kings chapter 17, Israel is exiled because of their sin and their idolatry. And Assyria conquers Israel. The ten northern tribes becomes the lost tribes. So Jonah's greatest fear actually comes true. He says, God, I know you're merciful. I know you're gracious. You're going to, they're going to hear your message and they're going to turn. They're going to repent and you're going to relent from pouring out your punishment on them. His greatest fear actually came true. But notice the twist. 2 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. Talking of Israel, it says, And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. And they made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah pole. And they worshipped all the host of heaven. And they served Baal. Remember, he's talking about Israel. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. And used deviation and omens, and he sold themselves to be, do evil things in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So, 50 years later, Israel, you see them worshiping Baal. You see them doing all kinds of things, sacrificing their own children. But notice what the king of Assyria does in verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send one of the priests whom we carried away from there. And let him go and dwell there and to teach them, Israel, teach the law of the God and the land. So one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria lived there, lived in Bethel. And he taught them how they should fear the Lord. Man, don't you see the irony? His greatest fear comes true. That they will be conquered by Assyria and God uses it for their good. All right, so now back to Jonah. Remember, he's sulking, wanting God to relent from his relent, and then God is going to do two things. He's going to show Jonah even more mercy and grace, and he's going to create a teachable moment. Look at verse 6. Now, the Lord, he appointed a plant of all things, and he made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his Discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So Jonah's out in the blistering heat, a lot like this summer probably, and God causes a plant to grow. Comforts him with shade. It brings him relief. He's pouting, sitting in the hot sun, and God provides him comfort. Notice what happened. Jonah has now gone from exceedingly angry And now he's exceedingly glad over some shade because God did something for him. But after the grace and mercy becomes the teachable moment in verse seven. And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it was better for me to die than to live. So God sends a worm, eats the plant, the plant dies, causes a wind to come up to bring Jonah even more discomfort. This shows me this, that God is more concerned about Jonah's heart than he is his own comfort. And I think that is so true for even us. That God is more concerned for our hearts than He is our comfort. So now, let's see if Jonah gets it. In verse nine, he says, Then God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? So once again, he's asking Jonah, Is your anger justified? And this time, we actually get a response. And he said, Yes, I will do well. I do well to be angry angry enough to die. And that is the last thing we ever hear from Jonah. So let me ask us, what did Jonah do to deserve even the comforting of a a shade tree? Maybe he followed God's commands. Well, not really, not at first. Did he deliver God's message? Well, he kind of picked the clothes up off the floor and threw them in the bottom of the closet Did he intercede for Nineveh? Not one time do we see Jonah interceding for them. And so here's the point. He forgot something. He forgot that we can't outgrow our need for God's grace. And we can't outsend the reach of his grace. And that's the last we hear of Jonah. And I believe it's for a couple of reasons. One, it's because God's going to get the last word. Because here's the last words in the book of Jonah. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, for which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So God said, Jonah, You did not make the plant. You didn't even make it grow. I gave it to you. And I can even take it away. You don't deserve it, Jonah. In fact, he's saying, you care more about a plant that I provided for you than you do about the people that are in that city. I think God is asking, Jonah, how upside down is that? So Jonah... You know, he wants to stand in God's way of him showing mercy and grace. And so I want to show you the three hindrances I see in Jonah. These are three obstacles that Jonah had. The first one, I would call it nationalism or pride. That Jonah, he did not want the people of Nineveh to meet his God, the God of Israel. I mean, they should be remaining enemies of God. Because they were enemies of his and his countrymen. They deserve judgment, Jonah thought, not grace, because of who they were, because of where they're from. And his love of his country way outshadowed his love of God. There's a second obstacle I see in Jonah. I would call it legalism. Man, in Jonah's eyes, they should get exactly what they deserve. You reap what you sow, You make your bed, you lie in it. How could they possibly follow the ways of Yahweh? He is not their God. They are not his people. How could they possibly do what we do? I think he's thinking they've done so much evil, they deserve to be punished for it. But the third obstacle I see in Jonah is this idea of self-righteousness. In fact, Jonah felt he knew better than God in a lot of ways. Jonah is forgetting his own need for God. That even just not for God's grace, Jonah, he would be dead. So I see Jonah, these obstacles that are in his way, that he has this group of people that God wants to bring his message of grace and mercy to, but it's Jonah's prejudice. He's got his self-righteousness. He's got his own ideas of legalism that are obstacles in his way. To the point that he wishes he was dead. Now I know for me it, it's easy to kind of beat up on Jonah. But I believe the Bible ends in a question. It's so that every reader after this is asked to answer it for themselves. And the question is this Is God just and showing mercy and grace even to his enemies? Or to those that seem to be his enemies of the gospel and the church. I think we would all say, absolutely, God can do what he he wants to do. And absolutely, I want God to show mercy and grace to people. But can we honestly say there is absolutely no spirit of Jonah in us? And is there anyone that could walk through these doors on any given Sunday looking for acceptance and looking for mercy, that we would roll our eyes, cross our arms, and wonder, what are they doing here? I mean, is there anyone that's living a lifestyle that we disagree with, and when things go bad, we shrug our shoulders and say, you know what? They're getting just what they deserve. I mean, is there anyone, if God extended grace and mercy to we'd wonder, why is God doing that? Doesn't he know all the damage that they have caused? Is there any feeling like, man, we've arrived, man, we've gotten things together, we're working really hard at this thing, that we then look down on others who are blowing it? Or even someone in the church, we see them doing things and serving here, and we thought, man, if people only knew what I know about them, can we honestly say there is no evidence of Jonah in our lives? Well, I know I can't. So I think the book ends in a question addressed to Jonah so that everyone that reads it after it is called to answer the question for themselves. So when I look at Jonah and I'm honest, I have to say Jonah's obstacles of prejudice and legalism and self-righteousness, they can be my obstacles too. And it is sad to me that we never hear from Jonah again. I mean we have to leave wondering what happened to him. Did he did he ever see how wrong he was? And I believe he did. Even though we don't hear anything else about him, he wrote this book. And he didn't leave out any of his failures. He wrote them down and I believe so that we would learn from him. That I would learn this. I need to be aware of my own prejudices. And when God brings them to light, confess and repent. I need to be aware of my own forms of legalism. And when God brings that to light to confess and repent. I need to be aware that I too can fall into this attitude of a self-righteousness and when God reveals that to confess and to repent. I need to recognize that I need to remember that I'm in the need of the same grace. But I think there's one more obstacle. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you look at your life and maybe you don't necessarily see yourself as Jonah or perhaps maybe you see yourself more like the enemy, than Ninevites. You might be sitting here thinking, man, if people only knew of what I have done and the mess of things I have made, there is no one in here that would ever accept me. I and mean, there's no way I can be honest with the people around me or even my spouse because of all the things that I've done. There's no way I could be forgiven of any of that. Maybe you feel absolutely unworthy and are asking, how could anyone, especially God, love and accept me? Well, hear this. That's exactly how you should feel. Jonah forgot his need of grace. God's acceptance and forgiveness and mercy, it's something that you and I will never be able to deserve. Not our best efforts on our best days, but he is offering it to you today. And you find it by trusting in Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter how big the mistakes that you and I have created, God's grace is always bigger. And he wants to offer you his mercy and grace by believing in Jesus Christ. And so church, I hope no matter how we see ourselves or where we see ourselves in this book, that this is what we would walk away knowing and believing. And you'll never, ever, we'll never outgrow our need for God's grace. Not our best effort on our best day, but we can never outsend the reach of His grace. So, church, will you pray with me? Father, this morning, there's much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for these men that you have raised up to step in and help lead. Bethel Bible Church as deacons and elders. Lord, I'm thankful for the time that we could sing and recite truth to you and over one another for opportunities where we can come alongside and to serve each other in the church. Lord, I'm also thankful for this gut check in my life. It's so easy for me to throw the stone and to judge Jonah for all that he had done wrong. Lord, I can see those same things in my life. So thank you for revealing those as painful as it is at times. But I pray that we would be able to remember that we could never do anything to outgrow our need for your grace. Because Jonah was right, you're a God that abounds in love and mercy. Your faithfulness goes on and on and on, even when we are not. But would you also remind us that, Lord, your grace is bigger than all of our sin, that we can come before you open and honest. And so I pray that you would do that in us today. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.